Good to welcome all you folks here today. Father's Day. We told you that we would be starting a new series here. Uh, I believe we said that last week. Um, if not, I meant to. We talked about it some on Wednesday night. As I look back over the things we have uh, done in recent years, it seems that this particular topic, it has been a long time since we've been on it. In fact, uh, last time we did a series on this looks to be about 15 years ago. I didn't think it was that long. But one of the most important things that we do in our life has to do with how we submit to God. And if we're going to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ, we need to learn how to submit to Him first and foremost. Some time ago, we had a meeting that was going on here, and we had somebody come out to the meeting who um, a long time ago had come to the church, very, very long time ago. And they were in the meeting, they were, and they began to do some things, and you could see some things going on in their life, and noticed some parts about this person. And I was comparing some of the things that we had been through recently. I said, Father, we have not been through anything like that, what that person's going through in a long time. I said, boy, is that good. <laughs> I didn't, it wasn't necessarily a good thing. This person had a problem with submission in their life. It was very evident in the things that they were doing. Very evident in the, in the way that they tried to minister, tried to, to speak to people. It was very evident in how they went about it. If we have a submission problem, if we have an issue that goes on and we cannot submit to the people that God has placed on this earth to be under, we will not submit to Him either. And many people think they are submitted to God but without being submitted to men men being general men, women, whoever it is that uh, we happen to be under if we do not learn how to do that we will not receive the things from God nor can we take our place in the body of Christ this person began to minister and try to do some things in, in prophecy one of the first things they said was well I'm not sure what procedure I should follow Well, folks, if you are ever in a church, ever in a meeting, and you don't know what procedure you should follow, don't do anything. Very simple. Very simple. In fact, some of the things that we do here in the area of, of uh, people bringing out prophecies and bringing out words and, and things like that, which we encourage, we love to have it. But the Word of God says everything decently and in order. Many of the things that we did were formed around when these folks were out in the church because we were having problems. And people would just would do things in the area that, that uh, weren't necessarily good and, uh, and weren't helpful. Whenever we have someone who comes in to minister from outside and they, they give words and they give prophecies, if, if they give a word in your life that I'm not familiar with, I very often before the meeting uh, adjourns or people leave the meeting, I try and get a hold of those folks beforehand and say, hey, how did that minister to you? Or I didn't know that you were going through something like that and begin to talk to them. Sometimes we find out, well, I wasn't going through anything like that. Sometimes it's like, yeah, I was going through something like that, and this is what was going on. And that helps to uh, tell us what's, what's happening and what's going on. Now, just because a person gives a prophecy doesn't mean that they're 100% on, nor do they have to be 100% on for me to uh, ever bring them back again. But just be careful. Just because somebody gives you a word of prophecy doesn't mean that they hit it right on the nose. 
Sometimes we can pick up on some, some things that meant for other people and mis- mistake that. We make errors. We have problems. That's okay. But you see, a, sub- a submitted person, it changes their spirit. I was listening to somebody this week, last week, sometime recently, and they said something very, very striking to me. I had to think about it. I, said, I only took a few seconds to think about it. I said, yeah, that's right. They said it's more important that the spirit that, that you know the spirit of a man than you know their doctrine. See, sometimes we, we hear the a wrong doctrine of somebody and we write them off. But how many of y'all know our doctrine isn't right today? We're not walking in 100% knowledge. We don't have complete revelation on everything. When one person went up to uh, Brother Copeland one time and said, Brother Copeland, you're not teaching the whole word of God on this particular subject. He just looked at him and he says, Brother, I don't know the whole word of God. <laughs> what a great answer. I thought, that's a phenomenal answer. We, we don't know yet. We teach what we know. Have you come into more knowledge now than you had five years ago? We surely, we surely should be. But you taught as best as you knew the people around you five years ago what you knew. Ten years ago what you knew. See, it's more important to know the spirit of a person than, the, than their doctrine. Because doctrine will change. Word of God says, test the spirits. We need to test what, people, what spirit people are of. Jesus determined that some of his uh, enemies in the area of teaching were of their father the devil. That means their spirit was wrong. Make sure you get your spirit right. A submitted person <coughs> has their spirit right. Unsubmitted people don't. In the body of Christ, you are going to run into people that are submitted and you're going to run into people that are unsubmitted. Be careful with unsubmitted people. There are some things we need to, to learn about this. Didn't uh, put this in your outline if you want to write this in. You can do that. I'm just going to read this for you. Very familiar scripture to us. (coughs) Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at this first statement here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, Therefore, and he says this before he does what? Before he leaves. So he says, as he is getting ready to go, as he's getting ready to leave, all authority has been given to me. See ya. (laughs) Why does he do that? Because he says, go. Go. We are to go in the authority of Jesus. In Judges chapter 17, verse 6, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do you get the impression that God is pleased with that? It says this again, last verse in Judges. Verse 25 of chapter 21. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's almost verbatim, isn't it? Why does everyone do what was right in their own eyes? Well, the reason given for this kind of lifestyle is because there was no king in the land, right? 
There's no king in the land. I put this in your outline for you. The reason people do what they want today is because there is no king in their life. The reason the people are doing things that they want to do, the reason people are doing wrong things, is because there is no king in their life. Is there supposed to be a king in our life? We are to have a king. According to Samuel, when he came back from, from hearing from God and he gave the dictates of what a king would do, he says, y'all are not going to like a king. Because a king's going to make you do some things that you don't necessarily want to do. Now, they were going to be men kings. We're not supposed to have men kings. We're supposed to have the king. Jesus is supposed to be our king. And he's a good king. We're looking forward to him coming down and being king. Ruling and reigning over the earth. But that day's not here yet. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. You will see this said about a number of kings, that they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Compare that to Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We all uh, heard the news about the Charleston person went in and shot up a church. Why does somebody do that? Now, you're going to hear politicians. I already heard, you know, senators. I already heard the president. I already heard some other people taking the opportunity to take a shot against guns. If someone had had a gun in that church, he wouldn't have been to reload four or five times. Now, how many times has God sent the children of Israel into battle? How many times does he say, don't take any swords or swords? Swords, bows, spears. How many times does he say, leave all of them at home? Doesn't do it. The one time he said Jehoshaphat, he said, put, keep the warriors and all their stuff, keep them in the back, put the praisers in front. But they still went. Didn't they? How did David cut off Goliath's head? Sword. With a sword. Now he used his sword, but he had to first off get it from him. And did that. Don't be afraid of these things. Folks, the number one thing that we have in ruling our country is the Constitution, not men. It's the Constitution. Same way in our Christian life, we have the Bible. The Bible rules our life. In the Constitution, it says there is a right to bear arms. If you choose to bear arms, then you choose to bear... If you chose not to bear arms, that's your choice. You can, you can choose to not have any guns in your house, and that's fine. That's your cho- I would never try and impose and say, no, you have to have one. I'm not going to do that. You can also choose to have one. I am thankful that we have police officers that roam our country... And that they are not just armed with clubs. I'm glad that they, they have that. <laughs> I'm glad we have a military that has more than just uh, trucks. We, we need to have those kind of things. Those are not the reasons. I saw somebody put up a, a picture up on Facebook. Cain didn't kill um, Abel with a gun. You didn't, need, you didn't need guns to start this stuff off. What, you, what the problem is, is there's no king. They're their own person. They're going to do what is right in their own eyes. And for some people, showing up into a building and gunning down people because they feel like it is right in their own eyes. Well, that's wrong. We have a heart issue, folks, not a weapons issue. The Word of God is here to change the heart. You can get rid of all the weapons you want to. If you don't change the heart, you're still going to have the same thing going on. We've got to change the heart. That's what God's out to do. Change the heart. So David had a king. 
And he let that king dictate what he did in life, except, as the Word of God says, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That was one he didn't do. Now, what is right and what is lawful, what should be done, is determined by who? The king. The king. There's a whole lot of Christians out there, folks, and they say Jesus is their king. They say it with their mouth. But look at their actions. They'll say they're, with their mouth they'll show up at church on Sunday. They'll worship. They'll, uh, they'll talk about Jesus. But then when there's a conflict between what they want to do and what the Bible says to do, what happens? They do what they want to do. Why? Because I am my own king. I can make it look like somebody else is my king, but I'm my own king. That's not something you can do. What is right and what is lawful and what should be done is determined by the king. He's the one who should do these things. Most of our problems, most of our problems in life come from either not having or disobeying the king. Take a look at some of the problems you had in your life. Can you find a problem that you had that did not involve disobeying or not having a king? Because if we always do what God says to do, life is a whole lot better. In James chapter 4, verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? I want to be my own king. A desire rises up. I want to do this. I want to have this. And you're standing in my way. You're stopping me. Therefore, you need to get out of my way. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing. Because I want something and you're keeping me from it. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? We try and be a friend of the world... In trying to be a friend of the world, we have to let go of, of Christ being our king. Because he's going to say for us to do certain things, to say certain things, to operate certain ways. And if we don't do it, well, people at work will look at me funny. Well, people in my family, well, some of my friends, some of my neighbors, see, we're, we're trying to be friends with the world. You can't be friends with the world. We've taken that policy on, uh, on in foreign matters. We've tried to be buddies with the people who don't like us. How's that worked out? <laughs> Doesn't work out so well, does it? The world is going to be against you as long as you hold to the, to the Word of God. You just got to understand the world is going to be against you. They're not going to like you. They're going to try and want to compromise you. They're going to try and pull you from the things that you say are important and the things that you say, say you should do. Don't try and be friends with the world. I'm on God's side. He's my king. He's the one. And we just stay with that. That's what we have to do. There are people who are not going to understand that. Just understand, well, it's going to happen. At least you, when you go into a new place, don't start riots. Right? Paul had riots. I talk about the world not liking you. He had riots. Every place he went, what happened? 
people throwing stuff, people rioting, people getting upset. Hmm. Verse 6, But he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you want to be resisted by God? Now, I don't want to be resisted by God. And the word there is actually a military term. We're going to get into it here in just a minute. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, can you be humble and exert your will over, over His? A humble person will have Jesus as King. You do what He says. Even though you may not feel like it. Even though you may not want to. You do what He says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anybody like grace? We like grace. They ask somebody, why'd you do that for me? Grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Somebody just did something for you. Mm, that's nice. But God resists the proud, gives grace to the, hum- to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not a new verse for you. Certainly something that you know about before. But here, here it is. These are the things we should do. First off, submit to God. That's the first thing you've got to do. Submit to God. You cannot bypass this. This is the first step. Most Christians try to become experts at resisting the devil. But the first step is submit to God, which means He is your king. Submit to God. The word there to submit means to subordinate, to obey, be under obedience, put under, submit oneself unto. There is in this word the idea of submitting yourself. Some translations translated that way. Submit yourselves to God. God does not submit you. You have a different word for that. Submit yourselves. God's not going to force you to do His will. God's not going to force you to obey. He's, he's going to let you do it. There are too many folks out there that have this idea, well, God's in control. Well, whatever happens, God wanted it to happen. God's teaching me something. No! No, if God was going to, to do all these things, wouldn't God make everyone get born again? If God was going to do it, wouldn't that be the thing He would do it on? If God won't do it on the most important thing... To alter a person's will to receive him as Savior. If he will not do it on that, why is he going to do it on anything else? He does not. It is up to us to submit ourselves. It is up to us to, to obey. It is up to us to do the things that he told us to do in his word. He's not going to force you to do it. To submit is to subordinate, to obey, be under obedience, put under, submit oneself Unto. Now I need to do that. Now how many of y'all know it's real easy to submit when you agree? If it's what you want to do, it's real easy to do it. You don't really find out how submitted you are until you disagree. Has the Bible ever told you anything you didn't agree with? Yeah, it has, hasn't it? Yeah. What do we usually do with that? Well, I don't think I quite had the revelation on that yet. I think I'll wait until God gives me more light. <laughs> yeah, what's that mean? I'm going to do it my own way right now because I don't feel like doing it God's way. 
Yeah, we don't like to submit when we don't agree. It's a piece of cake when we agree. Submit to God. So that's the first thing I've got to do. If I want to do anything else, I have got to learn to submit to God. Which means I have to keep an open ear. I have to be listening. That's why we spend so much time on discerning the voice of the Spirit. I've got to hear Him. When He speaks to me, I need to listen. If He tells me, don't go such and such a place. If He gives me a check about doing something, what should I do? I've heard uh, Brother Keith tell this story many a time. But it, it's a good story. It sure tells the, the idea. Way back when he was in the... When Rem Raymond had a counseling center. They didn't have it for many years. They had it for a couple of years. But he was uh, in there staffing it. He was one of the ones on the phones. If you called up, he was one of the persons that you would get. And so one time, this one lady called up. And she was frantic. Oh, she was, she was all shook up. And so we got her calmed down. This is one of uh, Brother Hagen's partners. And got her calmed down and... Explain, you know, what happened? Well, I got mugged today. And so Brother Keith is, you know, he's new at this. It hadn't been going on too all that long. Well, that must have been a scary thing. It must have been very traumatic. And uh, it didn't really upset her so much that she got mugged. What upset her was that God let it happen. And so um, he's talking with her about it. He doesn't really have any direction on what the way, which way to go just yet. So he just keeps her talking. He says, well, um, what were you doing what, what, what did you have to go down there? Was you going down there for work? Was it business that took you down? She says, yeah, it was, it was business that took you down. And it's, uh, it's not a real nice part of town. It's kind of a rough part of town. But you felt like, he said, but you felt like that the, the Spirit of God was telling you to go. That you needed to go. He says, well, no. I kind of had a check in my spirit about it. He said, well, well you had a check in your spirit about it, but you, but you went. And he said, she said, well, yeah. He said, I just claimed the 91st Psalm and, uh, and, and went on out there. Well, see, now we find out what the problem is. God is saying, don't go there. There's danger. Something is bad. Something is not good. And you disobeyed. Don't disobey God by confessing Scripture. There are times that God will, will tell you to do things. When we were when we were kids growing up, um, we don't we don't have all the details of, of what all occurred, but I remember uh, when we were going away to vacation. I think we were going to the Poconos. My mom probably remember better than than I would. I think we were going on vacation to Poconos, and we had a, a green Dodge at the time, and uh, it was a good car, real real good car. And for some reason, we were getting ready. We had it all loaded up to go away on vacation, and uh, it wouldn't start. Would not start. Tried it again, wouldn't start. Nothing more disappointing. All packed up, ready to go on vacation, and the car doesn't start. So um, eventually, I think after a half hour, 45, whatever, it was some kind of time. Once again, I'm kind of fuzzy. I was young, so I'm kind of fuzzy on some of the details. Um, eventually, it did start, and we went on, on our way and headed up there. Well, we found out that uh, before we had arrived, there were some, I think there were some cars on the side of the road or... Um, uh, there was there was a, a person who got up and um, with a, a rifle or a gun or some guy. Is that what it was, Mom? Was remember it was a rifle or a gun? They were shooting at people. There was a sniper who got up there and was shooting at cars coming up on the road. We were coming up on. And uh, my dad sort of figured it out. He says, "Well, if we had left at the time we were supposed to leave, I think we would have been around this area <laughs> when that was going on." And uh, yeah, see, so God will help you avoid some stuff. What we want is is God to be our bulletproof glass. 
God wants us to be obedient. We want to be able to just drive through trouble and not have to listen. But God wants us to listen and to yield. Remember when Samuel was uh, the, the prophet? Not, uh, yeah, as on the, no, it wasn't Samuel. It was uh, Elisha. Elisha, when he was the prophet. And an enemy king was trying to kill the king of Israel. And so he would tell him, don't go on this road today. There's a trap set up for you. And every time that this enemy king tried to set up a trap, Elisha would tell, don't do it. It got to be so bad that the enemy king finally said, you know what? Someone in this room is a spy. Someone in this room is telling the king of Israel what's going on. And they said, no, that's not what it is at all. They have a prophet in the land. And that prophet tells you what's going on in your bedroom. So he decided we need to get this prophet. So they sent the whole army on down to get him. And then the prophet was up in the city Dothan. And so they surrounded the city Dothan. And his assistant was all scared. Yeah, we've got all these people around us. And um, Elisha's fine. Oh, this is cool. It's all right. He's, a, he's okay with it. And the um, guy says, uh, what are we going to do? Well, we're, we're going to go out and talk to him. He didn't like that idea. And so the prophet prayed and he said, open up his eyes, let him see. And so the assistant was able to see and he saw all these angels all around the city. Ah, we don't need to be afraid. Look at all those angels. And so Elisha walks out right into the midst of the army. He says, who are you looking for? Ah, we're looking for Elisha the prophet. Oh, I'll tell you what. You're not going to find what you want here. I'm going to take you though to the place that you need to go so you can find what you want. And so he leaves them, the one they're looking for, is leading them and he leads them right into the city of Samaria. They close the gates, have them totally surrounded. And then suddenly their eyes are open. They can see, oh, we're now in the city of Samaria and we are surrounded by the army of Israel. And so the king says to Elisha, what should we do? Should we kill them? He says, no, these are your guests. Feed them. Send them on their way. And so they did. See, God will, wants to guard your steps. But you've got to listen to him. He's going to keep you out of trouble. But you've got to listen to him. Don't give in to fear. Worry, doubt, stuff like that. Don't do it. First thing we need to do, according to the scripture, is submit to God. If you are not submitted to God, what's the, uh, who's got the bulletin? Can I borrow your bulletin? Right there. Thank you, sir. Brother Keith said this. I had this written down from a long time ago. I said, well, when we get into this series, we'll, we'll bring this out. You are not in a position to take authority over the enemy if you are rebelling like the enemy. I thought that was a good statement. Yeah. So first thing, submit yourselves to God. That's the first thing you've got to do. Focus more on that than anything else. Submit to God. What's the second part? Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Submit yourselves to God. Now resist the devil. If you're not submitted, how are you going to resist? You see, if you're not humble, it says that God resists you. If you're in pride, you're not getting grace. So submit to God, resist the devil. <coughs> the word there for resist means to stand against, oppose, resist, withstand. It is the same root word as we just saw. God resists you. So as God resists the proud, you resist the devil. Same way. In the same way. You resist him. Now, if you resist the devil, what will he do? 
Flee. And the word there means to run away, to shun, to vanish, escape, or flee away. Can you imagine the devil escaping from you? The devil escaping from you. To run away, to flee. To flee. Hmm. That's what it says. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Don't just resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to focus on. But we've got to get the submission part down. We've got to get ourselves to be submitted. I'm not saying that you have to be 100% submitted before the devil will resist you. Has the devil ever resisted you in the past? Or, I'm sorry, have you ever resisted the devil in the past and he's fled from you? Has that ever happened? Were you 100% submitted? No, but you're 100, you, were, you were submitted as far as you knew. You weren't resisting God. You weren't resisting His Word. He goes on, he says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So you've got to start something. Start something with God. And don't just submit to Him. Begin to draw near to Him. Get closer to God. And He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Being double-minded will pollute your heart. We know about double-mindedness. We talked about that. Don't be, be two ways. Don't be talking one way out of your mouth and believing another way in your heart. That'll pollute it. Don't need to do it. You don't want that kind of stuff going on. When you drink water, how many of you spend money on bottled water? Yeah. Yeah, why do you do that? Has absolutely no taste at all. No taste at all. Why do you spend money on bottled water? Because your thinking is purer. I've heard people say, you know, that you know, there, there's no regulations on bottled water. There is on tap water. Sometimes tap water has been cleaner than some of the bottled water that some companies put out because there's no regulations on it. But I have, I have confidence in companies that, you know, they want to put out a good product because they want you to buy it. If they don't put out a good product, you're probably not going to buy it. You people who drink water, how many of you all have a favorite brand? <laughs> we have a favorite brand. Why do we have a favorite brand? We, we've tried different ones, and for some reason, we like this no taste better than this no taste. <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, I've I've heard this too. If you if you if you like bottled water, do not complain about the price of gas. Because you spend a whole lot more water money on your water than you do on your gas. Whole and and their gas tank took a lot more to get that stuff ready than your water. Don't complain about gas. That's just a side thing. We shouldn't complain anyway, right? But we, we do all that because we want pure. We want, we want clean stuff. But then we'll allow things to pollute our heart. Don't, do, don't put so much attention on your water that you forget what's going on in your heart. Don't be double-minded. He goes on, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. 
well, I'd say we can spend a whole lot of time on all this, but just want to get here to the end. But if you judge the law, you are a doer of the law, not but a judge. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who is that one lawgiver? The one who is to be your king. The one who is to be the one who says you shall and you shall not. The one that we yield to, the one that we are submitted to. He is the one. Luke chapter 7. We all know this story pretty well. Not going to spend so much time on the story as just looking at what he, the overall concept here. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was already not afar from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, he didn't change his mind on this. He had one mind the whole time. His one mind was, when he sent the leaders of the Jews, that they're the leaders of the Jews, being Jewish, they would have a better in with Jesus. They would have a better ear to get a hold of Jesus. And so he, he sent them to do something. Well, they did something different than what he wanted. He probably even told them, just, just have them say the word. They didn't understand that. They couldn't comprehend it. What do you mean just say the word? No, he needs to come and lay hands. So they got on over there and said, please, come, lay hands on him. He's deserving of this. And they said all these, well, this is not in the heart of the centurion at all. And so when he saw that was going on, the second time he sent who? His friends. You guys will do what I'm asking you to do. He didn't send servants. He didn't send soldiers. He said he sent friends. Maybe they were soldiers, but he sent them as friends. You go. And so they got there and they said, Jesus, this isn't what we intended. We didn't want you to have to come all the way out to the house. And look what he says. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say, one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. For I also, what's he doing? Identifying with Jesus. For I also am a man placed under under authority. He is a person under authority. Being under authority, he talks about those that are under him. Then those that are under him, he says to them, go and they go and to them come and they come. Why do they do it? Because of the authority that he is under. If the centurion was not under the authority, would they come and would they go? No. The whole reason that those that are under him come and go when he says is because he is under authority. And so he says this to Jesus, I too am a man under authority. I also am a man under authority. In other words, Jesus, I understand you're under authority. That someone is over you, placed you here, 
and that you operate under their authority. When you operate under another's authority, you are here to do what? Their will. You are here to accomplish their purpose. If you were in the army as this person was, they were there to accomplish the, pers- the, the interests of Caesar and the generals that are under him. And they each are given orders to accomplish those, those things. It doesn't matter what they want to do. What is needed to be done, what is dictated us to do. And you're under that authority. And as long as you operate under that authority, you have authority. So that if one under him were to disobey him, they disobey all the authority so that all the authority comes against them. So as long as the people that are under him submit to his authority, then Rome is good to those soldiers. But if they are unsubmitted to those authorities, what do they get from Rome? Resistance. Resistance. Same thing that happens in the kingdom of God. They get resistance. And I say to one, go, and he goes, another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, great is your understanding of authority. He doesn't say that, does he? In all the discussion that the centurion had through his friends with Jesus, is there any mention of faith? Is there any mention of a concept of faith? Do any of the principles that we have that we commonly associate with faith, does he bring any of them up? Then how does Jesus go from a discussion of authority to great is your faith? Is Jesus messed up? Confused? Disoriented? No. Submission and authority has everything to do with your faith. Your faith is not a separate issue. It goes right along with how submitted you are and how much you operate under that authority. What's step number one? Submit to God. What's step number two? Resist the devil. If you only do step number one, will you have victory? You won't, will you? If this man only operated under authority and never said to anyone under him, go or come, would they? The implication we get from him is unless he says go, they don't go. Unless he says come, they don't come. They might go out and do other things. But they're not going to follow his orders unless what? He gives them. And they only follow those orders as long as he is submitted. So what Jesus says when he sees this man using this example is, great is your faith. Great is your faith. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not in Israel. Who's in the crowd? Some of the ones that are in the crowd, would, would Peter be in this crowd? Would James be in this crowd? Would John be in this crowd? When he turns to the crowd, does he turn to his own 12 disciples? Aren't they in the crowd? They're in the crowd. He turns to his own disciples as well as the crowd. He's, he turns to them and says, let me let you know, I have not found this kind of faith anywhere. And the disciples are sitting there saying, 
Really? How? Because they understood some stuff. They understood some things. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. He said, you don't have to do anything but say it. Because if you say it, they have to listen. And Jesus said, this is great faith. Great faith. I'll put this in your outline for you. Power is not authority. Outside of authority, what power we do have comes from intimidation, bullying, fear, such things like that. How many of you have ever been around a boss who has authority but is not submitted properly, is not doing the things that the company wants to be done, and so how do they get the people that are under them to do what they need to do? Intimidation, fear, bullying. Have you ever had a boss who did things like this? Did you enjoy it? No. We are not, this is what happens with Christians. We substitute what we're supposed to walk in for something else. And we end up getting into this, we're trying to intimidate the devil. We try and be loud. Try and be forceful. We try and quote a lot of word. Try and scare them. That's not going to do a whole lot. Because your power in, in real good. People are doing this, they're operating under their own power, not his authority. As much as your time operating under authority, then power. Now, if you want a real good case for this, children are masterful at getting you to operate in a realm outside of your authority and under your own power. You look at it as parents. How many times have you fallen into the trap of intimidation, fear, and bullying? Why? Because you gave up your authority. Once you give up your authority in the home, folks, you can get it back. But it is a battle. Don't give it up to begin with. Stay with that. Parents, if you're out there and you see them in the Walmarts, I don't see them because I don't go there. But I've, I've seen videos. <laughs> no, I've been in Walmart a couple of times. And it just seems like that's the place that you see it. How many times do you see the, the mom or the dad chasing the kid around the store? Yelling at them? Fear? When I get you home, I'm going to beat you to an inch of your life. Right? We're trying to do fear tactics. We're trying to do bullying. Why? Because you stepped out of your authority. And you're trying to do this out of your own power. We do that with the devil. We wonder why he's not listening. As a believer operating under our own power, we try to duplicate getting stronger and fiercer by becoming more righteous and spiritual. Ever see people do that? Try to become super righteous, super spiritual. I can give you a whole group of people who did it. Pharisees? Sadducees? Jesus comes along. The people said, what about him? He is one who teaches as one having authority. They weren't used to that. They're used to the, to the Pharisees who are bullying intimidating through their super spirituality and through their great righteousness. And then what Jesus talked about them as trying to do, you portray yourselves as these great whitewashed people. And it's not so. So we use these kind of traits to impose our will on others. 
You're not here to impose your will on the devil or anyone else. You're here to carry out the will of God on the earth. Is it the will of God that people be sick? When Jesus came across people that were sick, what did he do? He healed all the ones that he could. Heal all the ones that God didn't want sick. What's the Bible say? Healed them all. Great multitudes. He healed them all. You are here to carry out the will of God, which means you do it under his authority, not under your own power. Stop trying to yell at the devil. Stop trying to impress the devil. Stop trying to scare the devil because you're not going to do it. You just simply operate under his authority. You do that by being submitted. Put this in your outline for you. The first step to having authority over the devil is submission to God. We can fake this with young believers, but not mature ones, and certainly not the enemy. You cannot fake submission. You'll throw some people. Some people thought that the Pharisees and Sadducees were greatly submitted people. But Jesus knew better. The disciples began to learn about that too. Paul, was he ever snowed by people who tried to put on show? Nope. You won't get this past mature believers. Mature believers can smell this kind of behavior easily. And so can the enemy. And the enemy knows he doesn't have to listen. And he's not going to. And you end up doing, trying to do battle with the enemy through your own power. You get very frustrated. So we're going to examine this issue of submission. How is it that I can make sure that I am submitted? How can I increase my level of submission? How do I resist properly? You don't resist with loud voices. It's not resisting the devil. In fact, some of the... Uh, you look at the stories with Jesus when he resisted the devil. Do you see him raising his voice? Do we have anything that he, he shouted, he yelled? Constantly it says, and Jesus said, come out. Jesus said, be gone. Jesus said, be healed. Because there's authority there. We need to operate in the authority of God and not, not in our own power. Oh, it's so much better that way. It's so much better. It helps us in things in our life. We've got a lot more things to, to look at in the Word of God. Help us out with this. Because if we can increase our submission, we can increase our ability to resist. We increase our submission and our ability to resist. What happens on the third part? The devil will flee from us. He will flee from us. He will run away. In the, in the Old Testament, every time that the enemy fled, every single time the enemy fled from the children of Israel in a battle, what did they leave behind? Spoils. Stuff. When the enemy flees, folks, they don't take everything with them. So who gets it? People who won. People who chased them away. They're the ones that are there. There's going to be some stuff for you to pick up. There's going to be stuff for you to do. Submit, resist, and he flees. Submit to God. What happens if you submit to the devil? And God resists you. That's called pride. Pride is simply submitting 
yourself to the devil doing what he wants because you have risen yourself up how did Satan fall? I will rise up I will ascend to the throne I, I, I five I, I wills I believe I will do this his pride soared and you follow into the same thing if you submit to him why does God resist the proud? because you imitate the devil. Submit to God and you will be humble. Submit to the enemy and you will be prideful. How important is it we get pride out of our life? But instead of battling pride, all you need to do is submit. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the teaching you give us in your word about how we can grow in the area of submission. How we become more submitted so that we are better equipped to resist. Father, I thank you that in your word is everything we need to know. That we can become the most submitted, the most humble, and one for whom the enemy cannot get hold. Thank you for the things you show us, things you instruct us on, things you will teach us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.